Hello, everybody. We are going to be talking about gatekeeping in the art world. If you would like to grow as an artist and you can't afford an art class, we've got everything you need here at Artcraft, critiques, tutorials, and professional development. Let's get started by talking about what is gatekeeping in a nutshell. How would you describe that? Gatekeeping is when you block things off from other people in your field. You don't allow them to progress or get better or get more well-connected or succeed by withholding information or withholding uh, contacts or things from these people that, are, that, that want to also operate in the field. A lot of it is about not giving people opportunities. And you can do that in any number of ways, but really it's about creating what's called the ivory tower. People use that to refer to academia, that you're in your ivory tower, all the people are down there and they can't get into your ivory tower. Institutions are a big area for gatekeeping. Let's go over some of those places. Museums. Where do you see gatekeeping here, Lauren? Museums get to create what the art canon is. What are the things that we are going to be learning about in art history? What things get saved in the, the sands of time? And by only selecting a few things or by things from, say, there is a lot of artwork in museums by uh, the very Eurocentric, usually white male guy, you know, Renoir, uh, very good artists, but dictates what that field looks like and excludes everything else. Tell us in the chat, where have you seen gatekeeping? either in your own experience or with other artists, because it's everywhere. And I think being conscious of it, knowing where you see it and sharing that with other people, that's one of the most effective ways for us to break down some of those ivory towers. Local arts organizations. Now, this is a very good contrast against museums because the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York is a huge institution. Millions of dollars flow through that. But you know what? Your local arts organization that is down the street from you, they can gatekeep too. That happened to me. I've been reaching out to all of these local arts organizations in the Salt Lake City area. And I really thought they'd be interested because I know how to teach. I have a lot of experience. But so many of them did not care. And I was like, really? Wow. Why do you think that happens, Lauren, even though I have so much experience? Sometimes... Having worked for a local art organization for many years, things can get really petty and very small. There's, there's a, a suspicion often of outsiders who have not been in the community very long, people who have just moved to the area. There are little cliques. There are certain arts that are really uh, accepted and others that are uncool or or kind of gauche and so this this plays out in these little petty exclusions on the local level i really felt like i was in middle school <laughs> it's like the 
new kid. I was like, please, can I eat lunch with you? And they're like, mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's past that. <laughs> we're not, apparently. And it happens all the time to so many people have told me that's been the case. Now, another place is schools, because many schools are not cheap now. A lot of the universities, art schools in the U.S., $75,000 a year times that by four. And so that's a tiny group of people that have access to art education. Also, there are schools that are very exclusive and are notable for their exclusivity. So they have very low acceptance rates and that dictates who is going to have a very clear and easier path. Like a school doesn't guarantee that you're going to be famous or something like that, but it can make that easier. So you, they, they also dictate who will not be on that easy path. Also, you have to get admitted. You can't yeah. just go to school. And right. for a lot of people, they don't have the support they need to prepare an application and a portfolio and to hire SAT tutors and things like that. How about residencies? I think residencies are a little bit similar to schools on a smaller scale. I've had a great experience at residencies, but they also have that same curated process where they're going through a whole bunch of applications and it often can cost a lot of money and the top ones will only take 12 people for the year or something like that and uh, for instance there's Skowhegan which is incredibly fancy and you can get into a lot of places if you go to Skowhegan but there are thousands of applications there a year and, they, and these places have great resources, too, and you don't get to do those resources or have those resources. And again, also takes a lot of training and finesse to work on those applications. Celia says fanzines, for charity or not, often just accept the same well-known artists in that fandom because they know their names work from a marketing point of view. So then they say things like you have to have zine experience before even accepting you. Yeah, I mean, you look at museums. Sometimes I feel like I could just make a list of 20 artists and that would be all the museum shows for the next three years. And it's ridiculous. You think about how many artists would be so wonderful for people to find out about and yet we have to keep showing Jeff Koons all day. Oh. I'm so tired of Jeff Koons' artwork or cause. Cause is everywhere. W315 says, when I was in school, I noticed the kids whose parents owned galleries were really popular for some <laughs> reason. And Spirit Guide says, in the concept art and design industry, most of the work is held up to a certain standard. If you don't meet that standard, you don't get in or you're not good enough because they want you to fit that mold. And most of us don't fit that mold. Right. Yeah, I think that there becomes this, this cycle where you're always trying to please whoever is on the application board and you, you want to make work that, that gets accepted into these things, but that's not the way that being, being an artist works. You got to be yourself. So that can be very frustrating when yourself, your identity as an artist doesn't 
fit what people are looking for. There's also a lot of gatekeeping in commercial contexts. For example, the whole art gallery world just has 50 layers of an iron gate around it. We're not even talking about showing. We're talking about just getting a job at an art gallery. Why is that so closed off, Lauren? It's, again, about the exclusivity and about knowing the right people there's there's a cool factor in that and then also the galleries only want to be uh, associated with people that can be successful because then otherwise both they're uncool but also not making money so that capitalism thing is a really huge part of it but it's really linked to this kind of social status amorphous thing also there to to even work in a gallery there there are all these unpaid internships there there are less than there were it used to be that there were a ton people still do it which is really frustrating but it's like you have to already be rich kind of to do an unpaid internship you know to waste your time on that and even then there's a i think that the gallery kind of walls itself off from the intern of having the intern play any kind of meaningful role in both the social aspects and the the inner workings of the gallery system. Well, it's very frustrating too because the art galleries are not friendly. I feel like if any other business behaved the way art galleries are to the public, their businesses would die the next day. I mean, I've walked into New York City art galleries, people don't even say hello, or they're very standoffish, and they don't talk to you or anything. And in what business is that okay? I mean, just that alone is saying, nope, this is not for you. I mean, maybe if I had a Gucci bag, they'd talk to me better. I don't know. Yeah, there there was a... a uh... Uh, experiment that one of our professors had us do at an art fair where we had to, half of us uh, role played as an artist, or we're just an artist, and the other half role played as collectors. And what would a collector look like? How would a collector act? What would a collector wear? And the the (laughs) galleries wouldn't talk to the artists or were very curt with the artists. The collectors, people role-playing as collectors, well, the collectors that could pass as collectors because there is a whole walk and talk and weirdness around that too. Oh, well, the, <laughs> the galleries were really open to those, to those people. Anna says, I've done internships at galleries. It's very rarely a way into showing at the gallery. I had a Risi student who went straight to New York after graduation did an unpaid internship at a gallery, ran out of money, and had to move back to Korea. And she said to me, Clara, the only thing I got out of that internship was a letter of recommendation that said, I'm a good gallery assistant. So those unpaid internships, they are so terrible for so many artists. And there's so many people who just can't do it. How many people can live in New York City unpaid for a whole summer? I don't know a lot of people that can do that. And even it's the, just unfair. Even the ones that the internships that are at the minimum wage, what is it here in New York? It's $15 an hour. That's not 
really enough to do anything with, especially with inflation and stuff these days. So let's talk about how gatekeeping manifests. And I'd love to hear from people in the chat. When have you felt like there was something you wanted to be a part of in the art world and you couldn't or people were unfriendly? Because the more we share those experiences, I think the more we can help each other figure this out. So how gatekeeping manifests. The first one is nepotism, our favorite topic. <laughs> and nepotism isn't always obvious the way it is in Hollywood. I mean, I keep seeing Lily Rose Depp everywhere, Johnny Depp's daughter. But <laughs> this is a New York City artist, Ryan Tricartan. And I like this course you do. <laughs> and he's been very successful in the art world with his video work. And that's fine. There was a New Yorker article about him a long time ago. And every time I read these artist profiles in the New Yorker, I always look for, okay, what is that one thing that got them it? in? Where is it? Guess what? His parents went to his senior film show at RISD and brought along their childhood friend, Ken Johnson, who was an art critic for the New York Times and also brought along his friend, Linda Norden, who was a curator at the Fog Art Museum. How does this make you feel, Lauren? That's, that is often, unfortunately, the way that it works is you just are born with the right friends I guess or put yourself in a place where you know someone who knows someone and it's really really especially because art in and of itself is not doesn't have a set value it's a luxury item a lot of the time uh, it's really hard to get away from this system because there is no it's not really about merit at all it is it's all situational and a lot of people often think that, oh, I'm not doing so well as an artist because my work's not good enough. If only I was better at doing this thing, then I would do better. It's like, nope, your dad didn't go to school with the right person is oftentimes the case. And it's so frustrating because so many of us are out here working so hard. My parents were immigrants from Taiwan. I, I had to start with that. I, I didn't have friends who were cousins of the owner of Gagosian. And it, it's very frustrating because you can't do anything about this. It, it's this is it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Art speak. How about let's read this. <laughs> <laughs> do for, I those, <laughs> for those who negotiate more intricately within the conventions of the assignment, knowledge is discovered through this structure rather than seen as hierarchical intellectual property. What does, does that, that mean? mean? I don't know. Does I anybody can't here know what this it. means? <laughs> I, I'm I'm the exploding brain emoji right now. I can't. Or the I swear the reason people write like this is because they want to sound smart because oh, you know totally. something if you were smart and you can write in plain language you would George Orwell is a really good example he doesn't use super complicated words if you read animal form the language yeah. is extremely plain and you know, why do people do this in the art world and why does it make us feel like crap it's again a really it's all about 
opacity, exclusivity, not being, having a very small audience and yeah, sounding, sounding smart, only being legible to the people that you want to be legible to. Unfortunately, a lot of the time that means that you're just not legible to anyone because writing smart well nobody knows what they're doing when they're writing smart i think only scientists can write smart really uh, <laughs> but in fact it is very very difficult to write simply especially when you've been steeped in this <sighs> international art english for a long time and so I really admire people who can speak plainly about what it is that they're doing. And I know a lot of people, let's say you want to be a gallery artist. And so you start reading these artist statements, you start reading these articles and everything, and you read this. And for a lot of people, this makes them feel like crap about themselves because you read this and you say, well, I don't understand this. I guess that must mean I'm not smart enough and I don't belong in that world. Can you see that reasoning? Yeah, I think also a lot of times the response to that too is has been, oh, well, you need to educate yourself more. Like you need to put in the work and figure it out. But really, I think if I, I think that there's got to be like, if you, if you want your work understood, you also have to get there halfway, at least meet halfway, you know? Ruthless competition. This really is a problem all over the art world. For me, when I would go into the faculty lounge at RISD, people would come in. So my show next month, I'm like, I'm trying to eat lunch. I don't care about your show. But it was constantly that people giving each other cards and I'm doing this and oh, it's just really annoying. Like, how about just talk to me? Like I'm a person, I'm a colleague. And I know from the student point of view, it's not good either. Yeah, the student side of it, I, I found it was, it manifested a lot of the times in critique. In critique, people are both very vulnerable and also there's a lot of, it's really easy to set a tone in the beginning for a critique that then just snowballs. And so some people would take advantage of that and really go for someone's throat in the critique just because they thought that they weren't a good artist or something or didn't think that they should be here or something like that. That, that thought process comes up a lot, especially at some of these elite schools. The other thing that I've seen, which is so, I just am like, why? Why has this happened? Is I, I met someone who would lie about opportunities and their deadlines and who to email and stuff. So other people wouldn't uh, apply to it because they oh. wanted it. And it's like, Yes, there's this exclusivity thing here, but it's not like, okay, there's like this person is going to replace this person kind of thing. That's not how this works. Spirit Guide says experiences of gatekeeping for me were rooted in social privilege, gender, race, how rich your parents are, what art school you went to, what connections you have or aligning with current trends. And so many of us have none of those things, but have a passion for being an artist. And it is so frustrating. 
Rose says, I never understood the competition. Like we're just making images at the end of the day. I mean, I'm not competing with a figure skater and we're not saying, oh, who can skate fastest? <laughs> it's yeah. not that clear cut. And so I've never really understood. And there's always room for another successful artist that we're not going to run out of spaces. Yeah. The scarcity thing is something that's manufactured, you know? Yeah. Personal connections. That happens here on our staff. The reason that I hired Kat and Jordan is because I knew them. I knew they were fabulous artists. We have never put out a call for job applications at ArtProf because the thing about personal connections is you know those people, you know you can trust them. Am I going to do that or am I going to pull out a call for job applications and read 50 resumes and run 20 interviews? I mean, I, I get why people use their personal connections. Yeah, this is the hardest thing because I also understand it. And that's how we we go to who we know as far as work goes for shows and stuff or putting together, a, um, I don't know, like a, a book, writing an anthology, any of these things. Uh, but it... I, I feel like a thing that can help this is just being open to as many different types of connections as possible. I don't think you can get around the personal connections thing personally. So you got to be lax in who you are open to talking to. So many job listings say that the MFA is required. That's a master's of fine arts degree. It's a terminal degree for a studio artist. And if you look at any job to teach at the college level in studio art, every single one of them says you have to have an MFA. And the fact of the matter is most people don't have an MFA. <laughs> also, a lot of the jobs that ask for an MFA don't necessarily need MFA experience. Sometimes those galleries that are looking for like a gallery grunt in the, for the front desk, they'll say they want an MFA, but you're just watching the door. Do you need an MFA for that? And it's frustrating because actually one of my most impactful mentors, Tony Janello, who was my professor at RISD, he started teaching at RISD before search committees, before all this brouhaha for hiring. And he doesn't even have an undergraduate degree. He has no degree. And yet he was a phenomenal professor. And he and I still talk every day. So you wonder about how many people are just eliminated right away. They, they don't have to do anything. It's just, you don't have the MFA? Goodbye. I, not cool. Yeah, that is, especially considering that an MFA is, can be very expensive to get. I think it's just another way to weed poor people out or even or middle class people or people that just can't get an MFA because they have busy lives and children or illness or anything else, you know? Yeah. Amanda says you need an MFA to teach unless you're famous. Yes. I have to get famous enough. Then they'll invite me back to RISD. No, if I become a billionaire, I bet you anything Risty will love me, but until then, <laughs> I don't think that's going to be the case. But I think what Soitenli says up here, 
gatekeeping is real, but there's the idea of being undeniable. I wish it was all about talent. I mean, I wish everything was about pure artistic <laughs> integrity, but it rarely is, which is such a buffer. Let's talk about geography in terms of gatekeeping, because this is a big one, specifically when it comes to New York. Tell us about that. Why is it different to live in, say, Alabama as an artist versus New York City? First of all, with New York, a lot of the big places are already here. So your odds of even just running into someone are, are much higher. Talking about those personal connections again, your odds of running into someone are much higher in New York than, say, Alabama, as far as big gallery stuff goes. But also I have seen, and I hate this too, people, some people some gallerists or collectors or artists even will look at uh, a person, an artist in, I don't know, the middle of Wyoming or something or Texas or I don't know, and say Kansas and the work will be phenomenal or will be just as good as any artist in New York. And they're like, mm, nah. Uh, and it frustrates me in no end that only cities are seen as relevant places to make art because a huge chunk of us do not live in cities. I, I will say, even though I believe that you can be a successful artist and live rurally, it has been easier for me to do things since I have moved to New York than when I was living in New Hampshire. I hate saying that it because I it's really, it, yeah, yeah, it sucks. And it's not an accident that a lot of the people I met up with in New York City when I was there, this is Layla Faye. She just had a solo show at the company, which is a gallery in New York City. I don't think it's an accident that none of my New York City gallery friends are in Salt Lake City. I mean, Salt Lake City has so few galleries and none of them are remotely as well known. But also in New York City, I mean, you could just turn around and probably... Five of the people you right. see within a minute are artists and you can't beat that. I mean, here in Salt Lake City, I don't really have that. So this is the thing, too, is I do want to be very clear, is that you can do it living far away. And there are plenty of people that do. And I really admire people that do it. We are only it is just harder. You have to put in more work and know that you will be putting in more work when you live rurally. And that's OK. Like everybody here, like is just totally like your effort is incredible um but it's it's kind of like the school thing it's just the the way is like cleared a little bit just a little bit like when you are geographically closer to other uh you know people in your field so here's what we think you and us can do to combat gatekeeping and I do think we live in a very different world than, say, the 80s. No website, no social media. I honestly don't know how anybody <laughs> had a career because you had to be in a magazine or a newspaper for that to happen. But as you all know, a big part of Art Prof is to combat the gatekeeping, to give all of you access to the things that Lauren and I had access to in art school in various contexts. And we really want to share it with you because I just, this attitude of 
I'm not going to tell you anything. And you have to figure it out on your own. It, it's just such a mean mindset. It doesn't have to be that way. That's the thing. Anyway. Sorry, I'm whining. Here's what you can do. When you talk about your work anywhere or in a statement online, use simple language. And Lauren, this is something I tell the staff whenever we have a live stream. I say, I want you to pretend you're talking to an eight-year-old. I know that sounds ridiculous, but why do I tell all of you to do that? Because if nobody can understand what we're saying, then what's the point of doing a stream? The whole point of doing this is to communicate and to share ideas with you, with all of you. So <laughs> if, if we're sounding just totally like gibberish, then we're not being very effective or very uh, inclusive or open. The other thing is too, is this is really an emperor's uh, no clothes situation where the people that are supposedly the intellectuals also hate the, the international art English. Nobody likes it. The people that are reviewing applications for anything, they read 5 million applications. They do not want to read all of these enormous words the issue is like this is just a stupid pattern that we've all gotten sucked into that makes no sense why it exists it's not it doesn't work for anyone just talk simply everybody will love you for it lisa says social media has opened our world you can find your audience wherever you live this is absolutely true in a way that it was not a couple decades ago. And so while, yes, social media is overly saturated, I know so many people who are getting jobs just from activity on Instagram. So while the gatekeeping is very frustrating, I do feel fairly positive, Lauren, about people being able to take responsibility for getting themselves out there. And yes, social media is frustrating, but we never had that before. And I do think that's positive. Anthony says, geography can affect your exposure. I live in Atlanta. I am a black abstract artist, but I don't do quote black art. So opportunities are few. It isn't just galleries, but also the art scene itself. Well, you are in the art scene. I am not. <laughs> yeah, it's true. There are these things that are very hot right now and it can be especially frustrating when you are an artist who is of a certain category and doesn't do and is pigeonholed into that category you know um like just because you're queer doesn't mean you have to make art about being queer just because you're black doesn't mean you have to make art about being black but it can like artists can get very flattened like that in our uh in the scene here Tristan says does this apply to quote smaller major cities like dc or atlanta well new york is it, it it's the place for artists we're not saying you can't be an artist anywhere else i mean la has a pretty big art scene but i mean new york is it don't you think <laughs> 
Well, DC has a bunch of places too, especially the museums. And Atlanta is also a very quickly growing city. There's also places like Asheville has a great art scene there. Uh, <laughs> down in Florida, there's Miami, which is really hot because of the art right. fairs and stuff. But so the aspects of gatekeeping can exist anywhere, but also the... the um, the thriving aspect or the art community can also be in any of these cities and creating an inclusive community can be in any of these cities. This is the most important thing. Be transparent because I was an adjunct faculty at RISD for, oh my gosh, 14 years. And it was just such an abusive situation. And when I got into it, I had no idea. Nobody told me anything. I was just told this was what I was supposed to do. And I mean, maybe I'm just blaming other people for what happened, but I was like, dude, maybe one of you could have given me a little heads up. I also think that that is the case between teacher and students. I, I really hate like the teacher student hierarchy. I get why it exists but I personally don't feel, often feel that I have a reason to be much in a leadership position when so much of the class is about the, the content that's coming from the students. So it's like, uh, I think being real about the role, whatever role you're in, or whatever opportunity that you're given as much as, and being transparent about that as much as you can is also helpful for those relationships. It makes you more human. This is a big one. And I encourage everybody who's comfortable doing this to do it. Share what your gigs pay with other artists who are in your field. Of course, this is tricky. Some people really, really don't want to do this. But I am so grateful for people in my field who said, oh, yes, that, that's totally not reasonable for what they're asking you to do. Because when you get out of school, you have no perspective. You have no idea if you're getting ripped off. And so Lauren, why is this critical to combat the gatekeeping? It's both for you personally, for, for you who is going to disclose or is thinking about disclosing what you're being paid uh, in terms of making sure that you're being paired paid fairly for your labor, but also for the art community as a whole, because when people are not transparent about what they're being paid, it makes it so that other artists in the field, it's easier to underpay them as well. And, you know, our field, it's fair. <laughs> We're not known as the most uh, lucrative uh, career out there. So <laughs> it's, it's really helpful and you can find resources that spreadsheets and things online that are crowdsourced that show people people write their their position what they are paid for that position and all of that this applies to pricing your work it's always really helpful to talk with other artists and ask what they get paid applying for a job there are so many ways that this comes up and this can be like helpful for yourself and for the community and it can save you time 
because I remember Lauren, when you were thinking about teaching at RISD pre-college and you were wondering, is this gonna be worth it? I told you how much a class was. I said, yes, this class, they're gonna pay you this much. This is up to this amount. And if I had told you an amount that wasn't workable, then you could have just walked away and said, oh yeah, I don't wanna teach there. But if I didn't tell you, you have to go through the whole freaking process <laughs> to find out at the very end, oh man, this is terrible. Cause they never tell you that information yeah. up front. When you go on NIFA and you look for, NIFA is a, a opportunities page for jobs and stuff, job postings and things. The jobs very rarely have, have listings of, of the salary or the per hour yeah. rate. And it's so frustrating because creating a job application takes time. So, like if you really want that job, you're going to make it so it's catered directly to that person or to that, that job. So <laughs> it helps if you know someone and, and can ask them what they're paid or they have put that information out there in the world. So if you're in a position to help people with something like those numbers. That's why we have so many streams and workshops about pricing your art, because money is something a lot of artists just don't wanna talk about. And I understand maybe it's uncomfortable at first, but we have to have these conversations. So we aren't totally in the dark and so frustrated all the time. The more that you talk about it too, the less awkward that it gets. There was a time when I would have a panic attack over talking about either getting paid or asking for a raise or like doing my prices for my art. And it's still awkward and weird, but I am a much more uh, even keeled person going through it now. This is something all of you can do. Help younger artists. In our Discord, we have people who are 85. We have people who are 16. And getting to give a younger artist your perspective or even just life perspective, this is incredibly important. This is not difficult to do. Yeah, I think also this could go the opposite way, though, too, because there are a lot of people that don't start art or their, their journey in the art world until they are older, have been through a couple careers. So I, when we put this together, I'd said younger artists but I think what I mean is people that are that are newer on the journey than yourself. Make sure right. that they are that that you connect them with people that that know more, that can uh, get them opportunities, that can trade information with each other. That's really, uh, especially when you're doing well yourself. You want you want all the you want what's it the tide raises all the boats or something like that. When your tide comes in, raise all the boats. I'm butchering this. <laughs> A rising tide lifts all boats. Ah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get so many DMs, people asking me for help, and I really try to help everybody, but I get so many, it's impossible. So that's why we have things like the Discord set up so I can direct them to, okay, go here, I can't help every single one of you, but we have this whole community of other people who can jump in and offer all these different perspectives. So that's always been very important to me that when somebody's struggling, if I can come in and say, no, don't do that. Oh yeah, that's fine. It, it's a big difference <laughs> when you're a younger artist and you're struggling. Yeah. Here's another thing. Lauren, you've got your 
community in New York City and you've got your artist friends and everything. I do too. I have colleagues. But oh boy, I had such a good time at the Toronto meetup that we did when I was in Canada this week. And I met people from all over. And if I'd stayed in academia, I never would have met any of these people. So why is this so important? Artists outside of your bubble. First of all, they have very different experiences than you. Geographic experience. You wouldn't know anybody in Toronto, Clara. They have different life experience. Maybe they're working in different mediums. They know different people themselves. It really just opens you to a whole new world of possibilities. And it's, I mean, having having friends is really excellent like that. But it's like you're... you're bubble will grow exponentially for every new person that you have that you add in because they have their own bubble themselves of mm -hmm. people and you want all those possibilities for interactions collaborations uh you know friends partnerships all of that you you want all of that available to you Yes, Pat was there. That's in the lower left-hand corner. You can see Pat with Pat's glasses. But we had such a great time because a lot of you I had met before. We chatted in the Discord. Some people I'd never met, ever. Never respond to a comment or anything like that. But it was just such a lovely moment that we're all different ages from different places. And yet we have this one thing in common. So I encourage all of you, whenever you can, to step outside of that bubble. It's a really, really big difference. I want to say thank you to 10,000 Crows for the super sticker. Oh, nice. Crows. We so much appreciate your support. We've got workshops coming up in June. The registration's due today. So you're going to have to get off your butt and register for these workshops. Selling your art, pricing your art, dynamic figure drawing, primates in color, gestural portraits. I am going to Japan for a lot of June. And so this might be the last time you can squeeze in a workshop for a little while, but we have a really good time at these. We get feedback in real time. You guys get a lot of feedback from me a week before and also a week after within the Discord. So I encourage all of you to check that out. Information is in the pinned message in the chat. Please join us right after the stream. We are going to have a stage session in the Discord. This is where you get to talk to us on voice. Meet us in the post live stream stage channel. And if you're not in our Discord, shame on you. You should come hang out with the cool people. Because anybody who's not in our Discord is not cool. Is this gatekeeping, Clara? I guess it is. But you can do it. You can. The gate is open. I gave you the key. You just have to use it, okay? <laughs> You can sponsor a video and make it possible for us to create content for our community. You can join our Patreon group. This is such a lovely group of people. You can share your art in weekly voice sessions with staff. You find support in a small group of artists. And I provide lots of support and critiques in the Patreon group. I don't do that in the public channels. So please consider joining. Art Prof has services, portfolio critiques, personal art curriculum, statement editing, and we also have artist calls. Thank you to our top Patreon supporters. I'm crying this week, Warren, because YouTube hates me and our monetization took this big nosedive. And so I'm even more grateful to the Patreon supporters who are here for us. You guys are incredible. Visit artprof.org. There is so much content on the website that is not on YouTube. Use the search bar to find what you need. 
Art Prof has a podcast that's available on Spotify and also on iTunes. Subscribe to our channel for more tutorials, critiques, and business tips. Everybody, thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.